Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I would ask if you're able to remain standing for just a few more moments as I read our scripture for this morning. It's found in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. It says this, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. And finally, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their eyes. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Y'all feeling all right today? I'm excited that you all are here. If this is your first time with us, special welcome to you. My name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. And today... We're starting a brand new sermon series entitled, In Those Days. For the next few months, we're going to be taking a comprehensive look at the book of Judges. When's the last time you read the book of Judges? No judgment. No judgment. Today, as we discuss the first part of the book of Judges, uh, we'll be talking all about half-hearted discipleship. Half-hearted discipleship. Before we get into the message today, I do want to acknowledge that today is 9-11. And I know most of you, uh, like me, you may have been impacted by it in some way. Uh, I lost a friend of mine who I was stationed with in the military who became a fireman shortly after uh, he discharged from the Navy. And he was one of the many heroes, the brave men and women that we lost um, on 9-11 those many years ago. So if you're here today and you're feeling some heaviness around that, I want you to know that you're in my thoughts and my prayers this morning. Amen? In fact, I'd like to take just a moment um, to pray specifically for you. Is that all right? Amen. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your love, and your mercy. God, we acknowledge that many of us have been deeply impacted uh, by the tragic and horrific events that happened all those years ago. But God, we choose in this moment to turn our eyes towards you. We ask that you lift our countenance, that you lift our spirits. Pray that you give us good thoughts, good memories of of those loved ones, those friends, those family members that we may have lost so long ago. We thank you that you're ever present, you're ever faithful, and this moment is no different. So we thank you for this moment to sit before you and learn of you. We declare, Jesus, that you are the authority in this space. Move now in our hearts and in our minds. Glorify yourself as we sit at your feet and learn of you. In Jesus' name, God's children said amen, amen, and amen. In those days, in those days, you'll hear us continually come back to that uh, series title all throughout 
uh, this series. But bear with me today. I do want to give you uh, a foundation to the book of Judges that I think is important to our overall understanding of what God wants to say through this book and what he wants to do ultimately in our lives. The book of Judges, it begins by looking back, begins by looking back. Joshua dies and the people remember God's goodness and they commit to doing what he wants them to do. And that is take possession of the promised land and all of his promises to them. And the book of Judges ends with the people of Israel straining forward to life with an earthly king while rejecting the king of kings and his reign over their lives. So that's how the book begins and that's how the book ends. But everything in the middle is quite a ride. It's quite a roller coaster. Any roller coaster fans, in the, any, any big roller coaster people in the room? Yeah, see, I, I, I used to be. I used to be. I used to be. I did. I did. I was that guy who would talk smack to the roller coaster. I was that guy who would, who would, talk, who would talk junk to the roller coaster um, at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And one day, I had the genius idea of starting off the ride with my hands in the air. I don't know if you can still do that now, but I started the ride off with my hands in the air. And that thing took off and jolted my back something serious. I don't remember uh, 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 specifically, but I was in pain for a few days. And that day, I told myself that my roller coaster cowboy days were over. <laughs> Until one day, I found myself on a roller coaster yet again. And isn't that just like life, right? We say, God, I'm not going to, I promise you get me out of this thing, I'm not going to do it no more. God, if you deliver me from this, I promise I'm not going to do it. And then we find ourselves back in that situation again. So roller coasters are a lot like life, aren't they? And, and we'll see that the book of Judges is just like that. There's excitement. There's anticipation. There's regret. There's some screaming. There's some tears. Might even be some nausea. Then there's recommitment. But there's also a profound relief and gratitude for God's continued faithfulness, his grace to stand on solid ground in my case when I got off the ride. But we'll see that the book of Judges is just like that. It's trusting God, then not, then trusting him again. And then we find ourselves back on the roller coaster of life. I love what C.S. Lewis said. We used this quote uh, a month or two ago. Uh, he said this, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And so we'll see that in the book of Judges. And for me, it's a reflection of the things that go on in my own life and in my own heart. So I want to give just a, an overview uh, for most of today of the book of Judges. The book of Judges has, um, by way of structure, it has two introductions. Two introductions. Um, it's modeled after the days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. It's modeled after that. So there's an introduction in the book of Genesis. There's six days of creation. And then the narrative moves from chaos to the Lord being enthroned as a savage king over all of the cosmos. Essentially, it is creation finding its rest in the land under the creator king's authority. Judges is the opposite. Judges begins with faithfulness under Joshua, God's leadership. Things are not so chaotic. Then there's six major judge episodes, six major judge episodes. And each episode leads 
to more and more chaos and unrest. Now, there are a total 12 or 13 judges total, depending on who's counting and, and, and how you're counting, but six of them are major. Six are major judges. And the apex of the creation account is the Lord's enthronement as the Sabbath king over his creation. And in Judges, the conclusion that we just read, chapter 21, verse 25, it describes a time without a king in Israel. This is the rejection of the Lord as king. One commentary uh, referred to Judges as the uncreation of Israel as a people of God. The uncreation of Israel as a people of God. It is the rejection of the king and the acceptance of the return of chaos that follows. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of the cycle of obedience and disobedience that many of us as God's children, we go through. But I need you to know this. When we reject King Jesus, we are participating in the uncreation of the world. When we reject Jesus, his will, his authority in our hearts and in our lives, we are participating in the uncreation of the world. So my bottom line today as we, as we kick off this, this series in those days is this. Faithful discipleship requires full dependence. Faithful discipleship requires full dependence. And the words that we are reading today are over 3,000 years old, but yet the story is as fresh and relatable to our stories today. And so that's a little bit of the, of the structure of the book. Let me give you just a little bit of the timeline. The book of Judges, it takes place between Moses and Joshua and the monarchy. It spans 325 years of Israel's history of coming into the promised land and taking possession of it. The book of Judges is the second book in a collection of books that are known as the former prophets. The former prophets, Joshua, Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. And these books document the period of Israel's partial occupation of the land of Canaan from their crossing of the River Jordan in Joshua's uh, chapters 1 through 4 to their exile from the land in 2nd Kings 17. And the purpose of all of these books, the former prophets, the purpose of these books is captured in Joshua 21:45, And it says this, not a single one of all the good promises that the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Everything he spoken came true. So that's a bit of the structure. That's a little bit of the timeline. Now let me talk briefly about the title and the author of the book. Now the name of the book is Judges, right? What is a judge? For us, we typically think about Judge Judy, right? Or Judge Mathis or Judge Wapner if you're a little older, right? That's typically what we think of. But biblically, the word judge was used to describe a God-appointed leader or deliverer of Israel. A God-appointed leader or deliverer of Israel throughout this 325-year period between Joshua and Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And so God would raise up these many redeemers to deliver his people from their oppressors. He would raise up these people to help them secure the rest of the land and promote his faithfulness, faithfulness to God through the keeping of his covenant. Now, this is the period of the judges of Israel. There are six major cycles that happen through these, through these periods, and the judges operate within these cycles. Now, we'll get to those cycles later on in our series, but Samuel is known as the last judge of Israel. 
Samuel's known as the last judge of Israel because he hands off the monarchy of Israel to Saul and then eventually to David. Now, we don't know for certain who the author of the book of Judges is. We believe that it's Samuel because he would have known the narratives of all the judges. We also know that Samuel kept the record of the affairs of the kingdom. That's in 1 Chronicles 29. But interestingly, Samuel also oversaw the establishment of the monarchy in Israel. And he personally experienced the contrast between Saul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin, and David, who was from the, from the tribe of Judah. Now, that's important for us to know as we begin to dive in to Judges chapter 1 here. It's important for us to know. Now, the book of Judges, as I mentioned, has two introductions. So today, um, I'll focus on chapter 1, Judges chapter 1, and the beginning of chapter 2. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll go back and forth talking about the importance of how God laid this book out, the introduction. Uh, but as we jump into chapter 1, uh, I want to start by mentioning the term half-hearted discipleship. Half-hearted discipleship. This is what we see here in Judges chapter 1. This is the story of Judges chapter 1. Half-hearted discipleship. Now, I want to encourage you, um, as, time, as, you as, as time permits, I want to encourage you to go read this for yourself. There's, there's a lot that can be applied to our lives today in Joshua, or Judges rather, uh, chapter number one. So let me give you a little bit of context to kind of set things up for what we're going to learn today. As the book of Judges begins, the Israelites are preparing to continue the process of possessing God's promise, right? Joshua has died, and the people need leadership. They need leadership. And so in the book of Joshua, which is the book just prior to this one, this is why we read it at the beginning, it tells the beginning of this process. It tells the beginning of the process of them going in to possess the promised land. And in that book, in the book of Joshua, God gave the people specific instructions. This is important. Specific instructions on how, on what he would give them and how they were to possess the land. He gave them specific instructions, which included God saying to them through, through Joshua, I know that the people are strong. I know that they are strong and they have iron chariots, but I'm still going to drive them out. Now, it's important to note that the purpose for them driving out the Canaanites and taking the land, it was spiritual. I need you to remember that. The purpose of them driving out the Canaanites was spiritual. God didn't want them to succumb to the religious practices and the influences of the Canaanites. The purpose of the mission was not to become prosperous or powerful. Rather, it was to create a country in which the Israelites could serve and honor God to create a, a, a space, a land, an environment where they can serve and honor God. So let's look at uh, Judges chapter 1, uh, the first three verses together uh, to set up our understanding of what God is doing. Um, it says, um, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? They're looking for leadership. The Lord answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. Verse 3, the men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Now, it's important to remember the first part of Judges chapter 1, the first 18 verses, really highlight God's promises to them. Really highlight God's promises to them. Now, now this is important. Um, now, listen to this. Judah was the first tribe to complete their conquest of the allotted territory in the promised land. But I don't know if you caught it, but right away, 
they failed to completely follow God. Right away, no, if you saw it, right away they failed to completely follow God. They said, come fight with us to their Simeonite brothers. Now, remember, they are going to possess God's promise. They're going to take the land. They're going to drive out the Canaanites. So them asking the Simeonites to go with them, that makes sense militarily, doesn't it? It makes sense militarily, but it's faithlessness spiritually. Makes common sense, but it doesn't make spiritual sense. What was God's directive? God told Judah to go. God told Judah to go, but Judah fails to fully obey because they call for backup when it was God that wanted to be their backup and show himself faithful. This is the first sign of their half-hearted discipleship. This is the first sign. Now, I don't know about you, but this this convicted me because how easy is it for us to do this in our own lives? God calls us to do something, and then we want to implement something that makes common sense but doesn't make spiritual sense. Nevertheless, Judah takes their inheritance. And so if you read Judges chapter 1, the first 18 verses, we could read that and we could think, this is going well. This is going well because in the first 18 verses, God gives them victory after victory after victory after victory. He is fulfilling his part, his promises to them, and they are successful in driving out the people of the land that they had come against thus far. That's what the first 18 verses are about, God's promises, his faithfulness to the people. But then we get to Judges chapter 1, verse 19, and we see why things began to unravel for them. We see why things began to ravel, and it was all because of compromise, their compromise. Things began to ravel in our lives because, because of our compromises. I need you to see this. Let's look at verse uh, 19, Judges chapter 1, verse 19. It says, the Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had what? Iron chariots. Now, I just told you in the beginning, go back and read it for yourself. In the book of Joshua, God told them, I'm going to drive out the people who are strong, and they have iron chariots. So wait, I wrestle with this, right? Because they had a word from the Lord in verse, in verse 2. We just read that. They asked the Lord a question. He responds. He answers them. So they had a word from the Lord, and then they have his presence. This is the Lord was with them. They had God's word, and they had his presence. But they couldn't drive out the people. Seems confusing, right? They had God's word, and they had his presence, yet they could not still drive out his presence. Why? Why? There's a reason for that, and it's because Judah did not fully trust in God's strength. They began to compare their strength up against the strength of others. How many times have we done that in our lives? God will will give you a word to do something, and then you move forward, and the situation seems bigger than you can handle, right? I never forget, years ago, I I, I decided, okay, I'm I'm a... I'm going to go back to school, Lord. I hear you. I'm going to go back to school. So I enrolled in, in, in school, and I got that first syllabus. Whew! I got that first syllabus. I said, mm, God, are you calling me to do this? And I abandoned what God had called me to do at that time. I had abandoned what God called me to do. Or we, we, we go forward in what God calls us to do, but we do it our way, Right? So this is what we see here. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, it is not 
our lack of strength that prevents us from enjoying God's blessings or from worshiping God wholeheartedly. It is our lack of faith in his strength. This is what is on full display. God told them to do something, and they half-heartedly did it. They did it their way. They did it in a way that made sense to them, but not the way God was calling them to do it. Had they did it God's way, it was an opportunity for him to show himself mighty in their lives and in their circumstances. Faithful discipleship requires full dependence, full dependence. So now as we look at verses 19 through 36, we see this half-heartedness begin to spread. We see it begin to spread. The tribe of Benjamin, Saul's people, they were next in verse 21. And they failed to drive out the people of their territory. And on and on and on, tribe after tribe, failed to drive out the evil Canaanites from the land. Tribe after tribe. Not only did they fail to drive many of the people out, but one tribe, the tribe of Joseph, even made a covenant with a Canaanite man. They even made a covenant with him. Other tribes decided to exploit the Canaanites as forced labor. They decided to keep them. Since they couldn't drive them out, they decided to keep them as slaves. It's in the book. It's in the book. They decided to keep them as slaves. Now, that would make sense economically, right? That would make sense economically. We can't drive them out. We'll just, let's use them. Let's use them as slaves. That makes sense economically, and it required less work. But that's not what God called them to do. God called them to destroy the altars and drive everybody out. Destroy everything, drive everybody out. That was the word from the Lord. Remember, the purpose was spiritual. Wasn't about economic development or being a pop. It was about them not succumbing to the religious practices of the people there. Now, how many would agree that it's easy to justify our failures, right? It's easy for us to justify why we couldn't do what God called us to do. One commentary I read about this, it said it's not that they couldn't do it, it's that they wouldn't do it. We just sang the song, turn our eyes to Jesus. That's important. Had they kept their eyes on Jesus and not their enemy, they would have been able to, to do what God called them to do, and that was to drive out the Canaanites. Tim Keller said, true discipleship is radical and it's risk-taking. True discipleship is radical and it's risk-taking. And it always calls for us to rely on God's strength and not our own. So the Lord answers their prayer in Judges 1 verse 2 for leadership. They said, who should go first? He says, Judah. And then they respond to God's answer with half-hearted discipleship. So they have God's promises, but then they compromise that. And we see that their compromise is the reason why things began to unravel. It's the reason why things began to unravel. And then comes God's assessment of their response. Their, his, God's assessment and his truth of their response in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Right? Essentially, in spite of everything that they would, God was still faithful. In spite of it. And I want to show you this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to, Bo to Boykim said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, 
you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they called the place Borkin, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. So the Lord's assessment of their response to his faithful answer is that you've disobeyed me. You've disobeyed. Now, it would have been easy for them to think that, God, you told us to go and we went. You told us to go, but we went. But they didn't do what God called them to do the way God called them to do it. This is why it's important that, 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 that we are sensitive to what God is saying and that we will beat him. Remember, true discipleship is radical and risk-taking. It's going to call for you and I to be brave in him, to trust in him. And this is why some of us have, have procrastinated on some of the things that God has called us to do. Because it's calling for bravery. It's calling for us to trust in his strength, not in our own. But we also see that no compromise is without consequence. Whether we realize it immediately or not, no compromise is without consequence. But the angel's words to them in chapter 2 give us a glimpse into discipleship through God's eyes. How does God see discipleship? In other words, half-hearted discipleship, in God's eyes, is total disobedience. Half-hearted discipleship is total disobedience. And the, the events of chapter 1, the people's half-hearted discipleship, it marked a change in Israel's relationship with God. It marked a change in the way they related to God. God made a promise to his people at Mount Sinai. It was a binding agreement. It was a covenant. And God's part was to make Israel a special nation. God's part was to protect them and to give them unique blessings. Israel's part was to love God and to obey his commands. But because they were half-hearted, because they did what God called them to do their way, his promise to protect them was no longer in full effect. But God did not abandon his disloyal people. God remained faithful to them. And we'll see that. And although God's agreement to help the Israelites conquer Canaan was no, longer, was no longer valid, his promise to make them a special nation through whom all people would be blessed remained valid. And this was the promise that was ultimately revealed through the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And so we'll see that God allowed oppression. He allowed oppression. He allowed consequences to come to his people so that they would repent and once again fully follow him. Now, I know that this, this, this beginning part of chapter 2 that we read, God's response, his assessment, it can seem harsh, right? But I, but I want to show you proof of his faithfulness in this. I want to show you proof of it. Let's look at um, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 again. It says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal. That's important. That's significant. Went up from Gilgal to Boykim and said to the Israelites, I brought you up out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give to your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. Now, the route that the angel takes is important. Why does he go up from Gilgal? Because Gilgal in Joshua 5 is the place where the people made a covenant with God. 
Go back and read it. Joshua 5. It's a place where they made a covenant with God, where God said, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Gilgal was an important place. So the angel coming from that place is significant. In fact, Gilgal means to roll. It means to roll. This was a place where God had forgiven their sins and bound them to himself as his people. So when the angel comes from this place, it is a reminder to the Israelites that they were forgiven and that they were saved by grace. It was a reminder that God is a rescuing, promise-keeping, and faithful God. And I believe that God sent reminders to you and I too. He'll send reminders, yeah, you messed up, but, but I'm still here. I still love you. And sometimes the breath in our body is a reminder of God's faithfulness, his grace, and his love. The truth is God knows where we were last night. God knows what we did. God knows what we think. But that breath is a reminder of his faithfulness, his goodness, his grace towards us. And so he's reminding them here that, that I'm faithful. I rolled away the, 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 the reproach of Egypt from you. Now watch this parallel. Matthew 28 says, suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone. After he sat on it, he said, don't be afraid. He is not here. He is risen. What am I trying to say? Jesus is on every page in your Bible. He's on every page in your Bible. The opening story of Judges is a taste of what would come on Resurrection Sunday. When the stone was rolled away and our sins were forgiven and death was defeated once and for all by our faithful and our loving God. So judges, just as in all scripture, it points us back to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. And though there's half-heartedness in our text and in our culture, and that half-heartedness often abounds, right? But so does the hope that we have in Jesus. So does the hope that we have in Jesus. It's through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we can confidently possess all that God has for us. His word and his spirit empower us to face challenges in the culture, crisis, and chaos. In Christ, we have everything we need to be fully committed, fully dependent disciples. And so before we leave today, I, I got a couple takeaways I want you to keep in mind that we learn from Judges chapter 1. The first is sin starts small and it spreads quickly if left unchecked. One small compromise here leads to a large compromise later. Sin starts small and spreads quickly if left unchecked. The second is there's always a consequence to compromise. Had a pastor say years ago, every time you decide to step into the kingdom of darkness, when you come back, check your fingers, check your toes, because something's probably missing. There's always a consequence to compromise. And lastly, through it all, through it all, the ups and downs, the roller coasters, the compromising, the trusting God, then not trusting God, then trusting God again, through it all, God's love, God's faithfulness, and his grace remains. Despite their disobedience, despite the Israelites' half-hearted discipleship, God is not done with, with the Israelites of Judges chapter 1. He's not done with them. And thankfully, 
despite our half-hearted discipleship, despite our up today, down tomorrow, up two weeks, down two weeks, despite all of that, I'm grateful that God is not done with us either. So this week, as you process what God said today, I pray that you would, that you would read Judges chapter 1 and the first five verses of chapter 2 for yourself. But I want you to remember to read it in light of what God has already said to them. The promises he's already made. But I want you to ask yourself this. In what area or areas of your life are you not fully trusting or depending on the Lord? I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. In what areas of your life are you not fully trusting or depending on the Lord? And secondly, and lastly, what's keeping you from serving the Lord wholeheartedly? What is that? Who is that? <coughs> Excuse me. For the Israelites, it was trusting in what they could see and not, what in God's, not, and not in what God said. I need you to remember that faithful discipleship requires full dependence. If we're going to be faithful to God, this is, what we, this is what we've been called to. We just had a series about it, the Great Commission, finding and following Jesus. This is our calling. Faithful discipleship requires full dependence. But we can be encouraged, but not take for granted that God is faithful. He's loving. He's a gracious God. And the opportunity that we currently sit in is an opportunity for us to open our hands and surrender everything that we've been trusting in in exchange for his glory, his work in our lives. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this space of grace, God. For this reminder that compromise Sin starts small. And that every time we choose to compromise, we are choosing everything that comes along with it. For that, we say that we're sorry, God. We're sorry, God, for abandoning your way for what makes sense to us. We apologize for half-hearted discipleship, for trying to do what you've called us to do our way. So God, we pray that as we continue to study this book, that you would not only show us where we are, that you would lead us back to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So as we process, God, what you did in this place today, I pray that you would help us to stand before you with open hands and an open heart, that we would allow you to search us, God, that you would show us the areas where we're not fully trusting, the areas where we're not fully dependent. And we pray you help us to exchange those areas for your goodness and for your glory. Thank you for what you're going to do as we lean into this book, as we lean into this series. In Jesus' name.
church, if you're able, would you stand with us as we respond to today's message?